Street veteran Bernard Madoff has been arrested and charged with running a $50 billion Ponzi scheme. Congress wants to know what caused the Enron meltdown. Now, well, the collective rage currently is focused on WorldCom. Tyco CEO Dennis Kozlowski was convicted of looting hundreds of millions of dollars. This is one of the biggest fraud cases ever. Their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. Find out more on this week's episode of White Collars, Red Hands. Whoa, it's Kashan from the future. Don't worry, we're fighting back the robot army. But in the meantime, why don't you get ready for our live show that's happening on October 27th. It's a Friday, next Friday. You can go to our YouTube, youtube.com slash whitecollarsredhands. Subscribe to our page. It's going to be there at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on October 27th. Anyway, time to get back to fighting all these T-1000s. Yeah, Skynet, turns out that's a real thing. Why is it that so many businesses seem to be run by madmen? <laughs> not the way I thought you were going to go, because I was going to say, I'm not talking about the well-endowed John Hamm. From the series Mad Men, I'm talking about the really kooky business owners that are the faces of such retail establishments where the prices are so low that the owner must be crazy for offering them. (laughs) We've all seen this trope in one way or another throughout the years. So, it should come as no surprise that this has been a popular way to get people in the doors of many American businesses, and it all started with one man known as Madman Muntz. Born not far from us in Elgin, Illinois. I think I've been there. It's I think it's like a suburb, just yeah, a little outside it's Chicago, not, far. not very far. But Earl Muntz, be, what a name! Right, became well known uh, for using his madman persona to sell cars, but quickly moved into selling consumer electronics. He was engaged in crazy sales tactics, like putting a, a car up for sale as the daily special, uh, and said that if no one bought it that day, he would publicly smash the car with a sledgehammer. <laughs> or uh, appearing on the very popular for the time the ed sullivan show and claiming that his wife wouldn't just let him give tvs away for free so he was selling them at a discount price like this stuff that's tropey now but it, it was revolutionary at the time uh, in reality however Muntz was an incredible businessman and actually a pretty gifted electrical engineer who pioneered the practice of measuring TVs diagonally. And he even created car radios by inventing the four-track tape, which would eventually morph into the eight-track, the almost music format of the future before the tape cassette became very popular and destroyed it. Um, Today, however, we're not talking about Madman Muntz. We are talking about one of the best-known cheap knockoffs of him, Crazy Eddie. Named for its chieftain, Eddie Antar, who built an audiovisual empire in the mean streets of New York in the 1980s that became one of the best-known electronic stores in a large part of the country before it all came tumbling down as a house of cards. So join us on this week's episode of White Collars Red Hands, where the profits are so large, they're basically giving them away. And the story behind it is absolutely insane. Wow. That was an intro. <laughs> uh, thanks? Yeah. Actual, actual, or <laughs> you fuck with me? No, that was, that was the longest intro I think we've ever had, though. Close? It was a good one, though. It was good. Hey, there, you know, uh, I at least I didn't talk about the stylites this time. It's true. So, by the way, the style... I'm joking. I'm joking. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do mm-hmm. it again. Go back and listen to that episode. That was the monkey business one, for those who care. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to another episode of White Collars, Red Hands. I'm Kashan. And I'm Nina. And today, we're talking about Crazy Eddie Antar. This this is an episode that I was very, very uh, anticipatory for. I, I really... I like this story. I, I, I heard something about this, like... Like two seasons ago, and I t- it totally fell out of my mind until we were doing the run order for this, and I was like, and I like happened to see this on a list somewhere, and I was like, oh my god, we have to do this. We gotta. I feel like every Edward I've known is a little bit crazy. Every Edward. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah, they're on there, especially if they go by Edward. Yeah. Like, what are you, a fucking an English prince? All right. Go by Ed. 
or Eddie. Well, I guess Ed, you got to have like three teeth. If you yeah, want to you do. And you got to be a truck driver, and you got to be like, oh, them lot lizards, they be getting better and better as the years go on. I like the ones with no teeth. Coming down. It, I'm not even going to take the time to go on the side story about the TikTok with the, the toothless lady. You seen her? She likes oh, crack. No. no? Oh, God. Hey, if any of you know that, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway. She I'm, gobbling shit up? Basically. Oh, I'm going to look her up She's later. talking to this guy about, about crack, and she's like, it makes me feel so fucking good. And he's like, because he just gave her 20 bucks. And he's like, oh, okay. And she's like, it makes me so horny. And he's like, oh, uh, okay, man. <laughs> and she's like, makes me want something in my mouth. <laughs> and he's like, uh. He's like, anyway, I got to go. <laughs> it's hilarious. I got to find it. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it, it after. Um, but back to crazy Eddie who had all of his teeth. And did he do crack? Uh, Jury's out. I'd probably say he did a little bit of crack, yeah. Or at least cocaine. I mean, probably tis the season. Crack cocaine. Uh, but the Ansar family uh, made their way into the New York borough of Brooklyn uh, when Murad and Tara Antar immigrated from Syria. They gave birth to a son, which they named Sam M. Antar, who in turn fathered a son named Eddie Antar, who, as I'm told, was a little crazy. <laughs> Basically, uh, since they immigrated, the Antar family was in the business of retail. And when Eddie was old enough, Eddie, Sam, his dad, and Eddie's cousin, Ronnie, all started ERS Electronics, a holding company that opened an electronics store in the Brooklyn area under the name Sight and Sound in the very nice year of 1969. Did they they make it on 42069? You know what? No. Did they open it then? No, I don't. Here's the thing. I think in 1969, 4chan wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. So I just think that uh, no one knew just how funny that would be. <laughs> you know there's someone out there whose birthday is 42069. Oh, of course. And they're old enough to not even know what, know what it means. means. Exactly. Uh, Wasted. Uh, oh, we're going to get another 69 though, right? 2069 is coming up. That's true. Um, Don't say I'm, coming up. It's coming up. Uh, it's like in another 40-something years. <laughs> I will be 74. Yeah, I will be seventy. I will be older than that. If I make it. 76. Yeah. 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 Um, Damn, bro. Old enough where that difference hardly matters. Um, Does it matter now? So we'll do something on April 20th of 2069. Okay. When, when we're doing the like... <laughs> the, It'll like, be our 46th like, year. <laughs> well, how many seasons would that be? Uh, a lot because we do way more than a season a year. <laughs> we're on 13 in three years. That's more than four seasons a year. A lot. We'd be on a lot of seasons, a lot of episodes. I'm not even going to do that. I can, I'll crunch the numbers later. Thank you. Um, but they open up this uh, sight and sound shop. Also, unoriginal name, but that's fine. It was at this first shop that Eddie would get his nickname of Crazy because he was that like really annoying salesperson that we've all met that literally won't take no for an answer like, these people are the worst, and how they won't, like, let you go until you've given them money, and it, like, feels like harassment. Yeah. Like door-to-door salesman. Uh, but all the finance bros whose favorite movie is The Wolf of Wall Street will put them on a pedestal as the risers and grinder big ball sigma males of our society. But they're they were, just annoying. <laughs> well, they are annoying. They are annoying, and they are actually, like, the whole reason why I never, ever, ever, ever have gone into sales because I'm not good at convincing people to buy shit they don't want. I'm like, you don't want it? Okay. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I don't care enough. I'm like, yeah. okay, fair enough. I'll probably be like, yeah, this, this kind of shit, honestly, you should, yeah. I'll be like, you shouldn't buy this. Yeah, I actually don't. Now that I'm thinking about it, you shouldn't buy this. It's, it's stupid. And my life is a charade, <laughs> uh, just depressed immediately. Um, crazy Eddie, at least, uh, with this store sold the electronics at market price. And maybe because, Tech was still in its infancy. You got to remember in the 1970s, this was the decade that the VCR was invented. So it's early on in electronics as far as we know them. Uh, So either because of that or because Eddie just wasn't very good at business, uh, Sight and Sound was on the verge of bankruptcy after being open less than two years. It made it 18 months before they really started struggling. Um, And when this happened, Eddie bought his cousin, Ronnie, out of the business and had a two-thirds controlling stake with the other third being owned by his dad, Sam Antar. And he changed the name to Crazy Eddie Electronics in 1971 uh, after his 
now well-known nickname. Um, this time around, the Antar family found much more success in the business. Uh, Crazy Eddie moved into a larger shop, and they even started opening up more locations across New York, starting in 1973. And after 10 years in the business, they had expanded to 10 different stores. Wow. Uh, a large part of the success can be attributed to its well-known marketing campaigns that they became known for. It all started off uh, after Eddie had paid for some radio ads, and he heard a local disc jockey by the name of Jerry Carroll read the line, <clears throat> Crazy Eddie, where the prices are so low, they're insane! And uh, he said it all fucking big and mm -hmm. like that. And I don't know if this was revolutionary or what, because Eddie heard it and he phoned the DJ and he, he's like, hey, I really like your delivery. Say it like that every single time from now on. Um, and their partnership then blossomed into Jerry Carroll being the front man for literally thousands of Crazy Eddie radio and TV commercials. He made a shit ton of money off that. Oh, Hell yeah. He was probably one of the most recognizable people in New York, which we'll get into. They contain a lot of tropes that were considered hacky and worn out. Even then, you got to remember, this is 40 years after Madman Months was doing his thing. So, like, people know this shtick already. Um, but they did and kind of continue to work. Like, yeah, they people do. still use this tactic of just using, like, stupid, shitty local commercials that just seem crazy and insane. Oh, yeah, like... I mean, there's so many that you can think of, like like the one that's infamous, the barbecue and what's the barbecue? The chicken and foot massage guy? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the chicken and foot massage. It's like a name. Yes. Like Harold's chicken and foot massage. Yeah, something like that. And then, I don't know, you see like, um, I don't know if this is just in Ohio. I feel like it had. there's more places it's in than just Ohio, but like the Empire Carpet. Oh, I feel that's scratching in e -M -P -W the Wait. E-M-P-I-R-E, empire.com. Oh, yeah. But just just like, or there's that one that's also going on TikTok where the guy comes up and he, he's like against a refrigerator. He's like, I love refrigerators. <laughs> it's just like this kind of, it, it's like shitty core fucking advertisements and they work. People continually do them. And they were basically just repurposing Madman Muntz's work, saying that Eddie had to be crazy for selling electronics at these kind of discounts. Uh, the prices were insane. No way they were going to stick around. So so get what you can while you can get it. And Carol always delivered his lines in zany ways, um, was always wearing a light blue turtleneck with a dark blue suit. That's weird. In all of the commercials. And they bought so many of these ad spots that, like I said, Carol became a well-known person in New York. He became so ubiquitous with Crazy Eddie that many people thought Jerry Carroll was Crazy Eddie. I'm sure they did after a while. Well, it's funny, though, because if you watch the commercials, which, okay, I do my research. I watched about 30 minutes worth of these commercials in preparation for this. And he always says Crazy Eddie's prices are so insane. He always refers to him in the third person, like, like I'm not Crazy Eddie. Yeah. But, yeah, everyone was like, that's Crazy Eddie. I'm, I mean, people are dumb, so they probably did awesome. think. A thousand television commercials? Yeah. Um, they also reused the dialogue for them, though. So I saw the same things over and over again, even though they were different years. Uh, one of the ones that stuck out to me was they were really known for this Christmas and August sale. That doesn't even make sense. That's the fucking point. Okay. That it doesn't make sense. Um, and they would do it every year, and Carol would dress up in a Santa suit and, and take to the set with some, like, really shitty Charlie Brown-looking Christmas trees that he'd wave around while he was, while he was delivering the lines. Um, and the commercial had the same opening. And, it, and it's a close-up of his face. And he goes, it's August. The sun is glaring. The streets are sweltering. The air is hot and sticky. And that means it's time for the crazy Eddie's greatest Christmas sale in August. And he like, jumps up and he's wearing uh, a Santa suit. And it's really annoying. <laughs> it's really annoying. <laughs> but they did it every year. It was one of their biggest things. Um, and people at the time said the same thing. That... that the commercials were abrasive and in your face. And according to survey cards put out by Crazy Eddie, many customers left feedback saying that the ads were so awful that they would never set foot inside of a store. <coughs> so people hated these commercials. But, you know, Eddie Antar, 
took the route that all publicity is good publicity. And he was kind of right seeing us how those survey cards that we were talking about were only given out in the stores themselves. So they're like, I never set foot in the store, but they're in the fucking they're store. They're literally in the store. These commercials suck so bad. I'm never shopping here. <laughs> they like put it down and they're like, all right, anyway, I'll take I'll take this high five. All right, system. I will take this Christmas. I'm just here for the Christmas and August sale. <laughs> they're like, I just love the Christmas spirit. I'm getting into it. Too bad the air is hot and sticky. They're like, hell yeah. Look how holly jolly these prices are. Uh, I'll take these silver bells. See, honestly, you could write these commercials. Anyone could write these commercials. They're awful. Um, yeah, th- these ads are kind of like J.G. Wentworth ads. I don't think I know it. Good. Because I literally put in here, do not sing the song, Nina. I know you want to. It was funny the first time because we've done it on the show before. But if we keep recycling the same stuff, we're going to be seen as hacks. We are hacks. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's no reason we got to prove them right today. I am a hack. But like that, they leave an impression that even if no one would praise them as really like great commercials, like you know they're not they're not Super Bowl commercials, right? Um, they they stick in your brain, right? You remember them, um, and that's kind of what matters. And these commercials became big enough that Crazy Eddie commercials were featured on uh, television shows and in movies such as Splash. Um, the, it's a Tom Hanks film where he falls in love with a mermaid who like becomes a person. Like so, the Little Mermaid. No, but she is can, he Prince Eric. But she can speak. He does kind of look like Prince Eric. Actually. He does. He's like a. He's like the oldie Prince Eric. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely. Yeah, like, he's not like he's great value Prince Eric. Yeah, like they're like chill ranch like Doritos like <laughs> like something that all he has. Yeah, it's exactly like that. Um, Tom Hanks was like hot adjacent. He was cute when he was younger. Uh, cute, not hot. But there, there's a whole scene in Splash where she, so she finds television and she just like does nothing but like watch TV and like sees pop culture and she goes to a mall and they literally play an entire Crazy Eddie commercial on one of the TVs that she's watching. That's The funny. whole 30 seconds. And I'm like. I, That's I, kind of long. Yeah. Well, when they said that it was in the movie, I was like, oh, they just like, they just threw it up there. You saw no, like a little bit of it. Movie. You saw the whole, com- from beginning to end, you saw the whole commercial. Do you think Crazy Eddie paid for that spot? Maybe, but I don't know. They were they were really popular. Uh, the Crazy Eddie commercials, like I said, they were also parodied on SNL. Uh, Dan Aykroyd had like a blender salesman sketch where he plays Crazy Ernie. Um, he also had some other ones where they did the same trope. They, they've done that trope a lot, but Crazy Ernie, that's obviously Crazy Eddie, and they're in New York. They know who he is. Um, Yo Play even put Carol's Crazy Eddie character in one of their commercials, like as his character from the Crazy Eddie commercials, but it's like- In Yo weird, Play? Yeah, but it's the weirdest crossover ever. They're like, yeah, we need this guy to sell our yogurt. That's weird. So it was a, it was they were a phenomenon. And by 1986, Crazy Eddie, by surveys done in New York, literally had more re- name recognition than Ronald Reagan in 1986. He was president in 1986. Honestly, I think I think it Crazy Eddie should have been the president. We'd probably be in a better shape as a society if Crazy Eddie had been our president and not Ronald Reagan. You might be surprised, but... They're also crazy. Eddie's also not a great guy, so oh, I don't. That's I don't, true. I don't know. He is. I forgot. He's not. He, he is on our episode, so he is not a fun, quirky so there guy. Might be crime later. Damn. Who fuck, knows? You're right. Um, crazy Eddie had taken off, and they were popular because they were offering really great prices compared to the competitors. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't all a lie. It wasn't all just a crock. The interesting thing about that, though is that there were these fair trade laws in effect at the time that required all electronics retailers to sell them at the same retail price. So, uh, so you, you had to sell things at the at same retail price. price at every single store. Okay. Um, but at Crazy Eddie, they always seem to be discounted to the point that others couldn't compete. So you can sell them at the retail and then discount them, but you can't like like undercut other sales. That makes sense. Basically. That makes sense. Um, but they were always discounted at Crazy Eddie. And other people couldn't compete. How could they afford this and still turn a profit? Well, easy. Eddie Antar was stealing from the business from the literal minute he opened it. He was a low-down, dirty grifter through and through. 
So let's talk about it. At this stage of the business, the Antar family was cons- was constantly doing any kind of shadiness that would increase their profit margin and allow them to offer these discounts. The biggest of which was just skimming cash off the top. Um, if they did a sale in cash, uh, which it is the 1980s, so maybe that happened a little bit more than it does now. I would say a lot more. Probably. Uh, they would just leave it off the books and stow away the cash for themselves. It's not what you're supposed to do. Y- you know what? You're right. It's not. At first, uh, you might think this skimming uh, doesn't sound so bad, right? Um, like, if they're just taking a little bit of the cash sales off the top, probably most businesses do that, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but Eddie Ansar was skimming millions of dollars off oh their sales. Oh, my God. So that after a decade and a half, he had squirreled away $250 million in bank accounts outside of the country, primarily in an Israel bank account, which held $53 million in it, but also in Liechtenstein and some other, like, banking haven countries like Switzerland and stuff. So they were taking a lot of money out of this. Um, Now, I know that one is big, and the skimming was big. It's what they were doing a lot of. Uh, But we're going to leave it there for the moment because that was probably the most straightforward scam they were doing, but there were many more. Another big one was insurance fraud. Now, while Eddie never set fire to one of his own stores. They're very they're very strong about that. And he never flooded one on purpose. He was known to be incredibly opportunistic if a disaster did strike. Like, let's say a pipe burst in the winter. It is New York. That happens. Yeah. Um, if that happened to one of his locations, he would be like, oh, sweet. And he would have people gather up stock that wasn't selling very well from all of the locations and just, like, bring it to the one that had the flood and just, like, dump it into the water where the flood was. Oh, you mean, like, okay, I got you, I got you. Yeah, it's called spiking claims. Yeah. Where I thought you meant, like, stock, like the stock market at first, but you mean, like... merchandise, inventory. Inventory, yeah. Yeah, Inventory. So he, he would gather inventory that wasn't selling very well and just, like, throw it into the flooded basement. Um... So that he could claim them as well on the insurance because they weren't selling. That's that's shady. And supposedly he'd even have them like, because sometimes there wasn't enough water. So he'd have them just like bring the electronics and like soak them with a hose or like leave them in a sink and then put them in there <laughs> to make it more convincing. Um, on top of that, he'd also like re, he'd reuse them. So like after he claimed them in the insurance, like saying, oh, these are broken. Look at how fucking wet and soggy they are. Like the biscuit at my at my frat house. Ew! Stop. You know, uh, the he would just be like, okay, now take those, and they he'd put them somewhere, and they get all fucking moldy. And the next time it happened, he'd bring the same box of moldy fucking electronics and put that in there and claim them again. And no one caught on. So he actually had a, a crooked insurance adjuster on his payroll. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So yeah, he he gave a little kickback to someone to be like, hey. Yeah. Don't notice that these are the same things that you saw last time. So, you know, he he had his fingers in a lot of plump eyes, okay? They were nice and dirty. Um, They also committed a lot of uh, warranty fraud where customers would bring in, bring back electronics that were, like, broken and be told by Crazy Eddie employees that uh, they weren't under warranty. So there was, like, nothing they could do about them. So they would just, like, keep the merchandise but it actually would be under warranty. So then they would submit it to the to the company. Oh my God. And get reimbursed for it. You guys suck. Or get the repairs and resell it. You suck. And they would just lie to people. <laughs> so they did, I guess that was also a big part of their business. This is stuff that he never got caught for, by the way. We only know this because like, uh, like employees have talked about it mm-hmm. later. But they were definitely doing this kind of thing. Um, and also when they turned it back in, I don't think they were giving like refunds to these customers. I think they no. were just like keeping the merchandise and then getting both the money from the sale and from the company for the merchandise, which is crazy. Um, they would also burn customers in another way uh, with a classic like bait and switch. Customers would come in asking for like name brand products, like like maybe a Sony. And you think Crazy Eddie would be like, those are the higher priced products. Those are the things I want to move. Uh, but he wouldn't. He would always talk people into buying the shittier stuff because his profit margins were bigger on them. Mm. So a lo- so he was known for getting people in and just, like, selling them, like, shitty appliances because he knew he could make more money on it. Which, 
I guess it's just like what businesses do. Yeah. But I guess they did it excessively. Right. So um, all of these underhanded tactics are what allowed Crazy Eddie to offer the discounts they did, though. Um, They were undercutting the competition and fueling their high demand for business because if they were skimming off all this money off the top and evading the taxes on it, basically, like, um, I actually think I have this later, but immediately creating like a 6 to 7% Margin increase. Yeah. Because they don't pay the taxes on it. Oh. So, so they could discount their stuff and still make a profit when other people couldn't because they were all above board. Gotcha. Um, that and the fact that he was known for sourcing his electronics uh, from shady places to get like below wholesale mm. discounts on it. Yeah. Um, and not from large wholesalers, which is illegal. You couldn't do that. Same thing. The, the fair trade laws. Um Crazy Eddie loved stealing so much that even the logo for their store was stolen um, from a popular cartoonist by the name of R. Crumb, who created Fritz the Cat, a popular comic uh, that actually got its own R-rated feature animated film huh. that I hear is great to watch after you've uh, imbibed in a little bit of the devil's lettuce. Mm, it's funny. Or it's uh, not that funny, and you have to have be high to watch it. It's well. I think it's just like a crazy adult animation show for for the time. It was definitely like a groundbreaking. Yes, that was what the word I was. Yeah, saying. it was trend setting at least. Um, by 1983, after 12 years in business, the Antars though they couldn't keep covering up the three to four million dollars a year that they were skimming without more capital coming into the business. They had started bleeding it dry, and things were looking bad. And this was when the Antars had a great idea. Taking Crazy Eddie public. That's crazy. That's crazy. I said 1983. But if we have learned anything, it is that Eddie knows how to milk the most out of a scam, okay? Exactly. It's utterly ridiculous. So the real preparation for their IPO started in 1979, four years before. It was then that the Antars started stealing less from their business. Okay, that's good. You heard me. Less. Yeah, that's, that's right. not bad. Well, why would they? Why would they do this? I know you're asking. Well, when you're a privately owned company, keeping the extra cash lets you avoid paying taxes to the IRS. Like I said, six to seven percent profit. That's great. Plus, you can send it out of country and there are less people to pay attention to it. But if you were looking to convert to a public company, this kind of skimming would just be cutting into your reported earnings, which would make you look like an overall pretty bad company that no one would want to offer money to. So over the next four years from 1979 to 1984 before the IPO, they skimmed less money off from year to year to make it appear as if their profits were rising faster in anticipation for selling stock. For example, from 1982 to 1983, Crazy Eddie did see a 9% increase in profits in actual sales. But because they skimmed less money than they had the previous year, it looked like they had a 35% increase in profits. Okay, they were taking a lot of money. They were three to four million dollars a year. a lot of money. Absolutely. Now, this made the company look like a great buy. And when it finally hit the public sector in September of 1984, they sold 2 million shares at $8 a piece in 1984 under the ticker symbol CRZY. Crazy. Crazy. Um, giving them an instant market capitalization of $16 million after their first stock offering. Damn. All the time during this fraud, they kept their auditors off their backs because Eddie sent another one of his cousins through college, Sam E. Antar. Wait, wasn't that his dad's name? I'm about to say not to be confused with Sam M. Antar. Oh, wow. They called this guy Sammy because Sam E. Oh, stop Antar. it. I don't know what his middle name is. Starts with an E, though. Maybe, maybe it's also Eddie. <laughs> um, they sent him off to become a CPA so that he could have a family man in the know who could cook their books. And Sammy has talked since the fraud saying that he knew the whole time that when he went to attend college to get his like degree in accounting, that he was doing it purely to commit better white collar crime. That's crazy. They, he knew already that the entire company was a sham and he knew that they were sending him to college so that he could help them cover it up. And he did. 
Sam then went on to work with Penn and Horowitz, the eventual auditor for Crazy oh, Eddie. Oh, he's a Benedict Arnold. He's Benedict Arnold. Yeah, Ben that dick Arnold. Damn, um, I already did. Well, and I snapped it. That's what I do to traitors. Oh my god, it's like the it's like a uh, Antichrist that uh, Willem Dafoe movie where she breaks his penis in it, and they couldn't use his real penis because it was too big. Look it up. Look it up. Right. It's a right. terrifying movie though. Do not watch it. But uh, is it worse than facts. Human Centipede? It's pretty bad. Yeah. Antichrist? Yeah. I'll tell you afterwards. Is it worse than Hereditary? Yes. Just viscerally, yeah. Some stuff I don't want to see ever again was in that movie. Mm, I won't watch it. And it was now in their now public company that their fraud took on a whole new life. They kept falsely inflating profits uh, to increase the price of their stock. And one of their schemes that they employed... Uh, the most, at least, was to increase the assets on their balance sheet by saying they had more inventory than they actually did. So instead of claiming they had more inventory destroyed, now they're just claiming that they straight up just, just have, have more, more inventory. It. Yeah. Um, when auditors would come, uh, they would obviously want to check this inventory. And the way that Crazy Eddie got around this uh, was kind of crazy. They <laughs> right? Uh, they would let auditors go into the warehouses uh, to count the inventory. And the auditors would lock their accounts in the safe at night and ask Eddie for the key. But he would hide another key in the room and then show up late at night, read what they had already counted, and then just, like, take that and move it around (laughs) to another area in the warehouse. So when they came around the next day, they just counted again. Oh, it's the same amount of product? He's just moving it, sorry, from room to room to room to room to room? Yeah, he would just move it around the warehouse so that they would just count it again. And then he would also move it between warehouses so they would just count it again. What the fuck? Yeah, well, because they were already lying about it. Yeah. And also, I, I watched an interview with Sammy, and he was talking about how he... It seems like a kind of shitty dude, but whatever. He was saying that uh, all of the all of the men who had come in to do because they were all men at the time uh, that would come in to do the audits were like these young guys. So he would just like bring all of like the hot women that worked at Crazy Eddie's and just like have them be around and like tell them to flirt with them so that they would like be distracted. And he would he said that his job was that when they come in, they have two weeks to do the audit. So they want to get by 75% of that time done. They should be done with 75% of the work. He said his job was to get them to only do 25% of their work in that time. So they had to rush to do 75% in 25% of the time. That's what he said he would try to do. And one of the things that he would do is, is to just, bring hot girls around so that they would flirt. Yeah. You could tell he's super misogynistic. Cause he was, cause like there was also like um, a woman on the interview team, like a, like a female journalist. And he was like, she was pretty like you. And I was like, this is gross. I don't like this. I don't know. He gave me gross vibes, but all of these guys, I don't feel like uh, would not give you a gross vibe. Like, I feel like all of them would give you a gross vibe. Yeah. Yeah. They were all gross. And, so Sammy is kind of the one who was really running this like, like merchandise idea, um, and bet- between all of this, um, by 1987 they had falsely inflated their inventory by 40 million dollars worth of assets. So they said they had 40 million dollars more than they actually had. He also found another way to inflate profits called the that he called the Panama Pump. <laughs> Yeah, that sound, that's got an Urban Dictionary entry. That definitely I, does. I, but that is not this Panama pump, okay? <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I kind of wish it were, almost, as long as everyone was consenting. Um, this Panama pump, he would use the money in the out-of-country, like, Israeli accounts that they had already taken out and funnel it through bank accounts in Panama that were open under fake names and then make payments to Crazy Eddie for a variety of goods and services that never actually happens to just like... So he's t- stealing his own money, uh-huh. putting it in this bank account. Yes. Putting it through another bank account. Yes. And then paying himself. Correct. What the fuck? <laughs> you got it. Damn, look at you. <laughs> you created the whole the whole flow diagram. I just want right to make now. sure I understood what was happening. Yeah, and you're creating a fake stream of income into the stores. And it's exactly what I had next. Or is like, yeah, he stole... 
he, he stole his own money from the sales he actually made and then just sold it back to himself. Like, technically, no money changed except for the 67% that they were yeah, that defrauding doesn't, the that IRS. That doesn't of. make sense. Yeah, well, it literally comes from the fact that they became were a public company or a private company into a public company. They had to switch from literally doing the opposite kind of schemes, getting rid of all the money, hiding it from the from everyone to inflating everything. It, it's it's an exact dichotomy. It's very interesting. I've never heard of this before. Um, with all of this, over the course of two years, Crazy Eddie pushed its stock price up to $75 a share, about $160 per share in today's money. That's like half a half a Tesla. Yeah. Put it, I think Tesla's still over 300. I don't know. Um, but like Jack from the Titanic, they were on top of the world. But things were about to head south. And you might think it was because the business wasn't performing, but in fact, it was the opposite. They were doing too well. The first signs of trouble actually originated from Eddie Antar's life outside of the business. Uh, he was known to get into trouble and to not have the best decision-making skills, like how he drunkenly got into a fight outside of a New York nightclub in 1977 and ended up getting stabbed. Oh, wow. Uh, just a little bit. He was fine. Uh, but he was also, I guess, a terrible alcoholic. Um, so bad that he got stabbed outside of nightclubs. Probably a nightmare PR scenario for almost any business owner. But no one recognized Eddie, so no one reported it. Oh, because everyone thought fucking Jerry Carroll was Crazy Eddie. So when actual Crazy Eddie gets stabbed Maybe outside of a bar. Maybe that was his plan the whole time, was to like not let people know who he was so he could do dumb shit. I guess. He does like, he looks kind of like um like Scarface Mafia dude, if you look him up to. Um, he just gives like scuzzy vibes, mm -hmm. for sure. The second thing was actually referred to by, by multiple people that were covering this story as maybe the worst thing he ever did. Um, you see, Eddie had a wife named Debbie, okay? Um, he also had a girlfriend named Debbie. <laughs> uh, he would straight up refer to these women as Debbie 1 and Debbie 2. <laughs> like they're Thang 1 and Thang 2 from a Dr. Seuss book. And don't worry, they are referred to like this in the court documents, <laughs> which I find hilarious. But hey, at least his wife was Debbie One. All right, that was fair. It would be even more of an insult if he's like, oh, you're Debbie Two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the you're whole time. Hey, honestly, it was kind of smart, though, because he could talk about, you know, he'd be like, oh, yeah, Debbie, you know, I went and did this. And like, no one would ask any questions. So this is fucked up, but I've made this joke. To Jesse, where I'm like, oh, my mistress name is just also Jesse's so that I never mess up. <laughs> and he actually did <laughs> and he it. He actually did it. This man, he's living out here in, in the year 3000, bro. Um, but Eddie's dad, Sam M. Antar, see, he knew about Debbie too. And he, he just so happened to also be uh, kind of upset at Eddie because he like ousted him from the day-to-day -day running of the business they opened it supposedly even but then eddie took a majority stake and basically kind of just like kicked his dad out and had him riding along in the coattails and uh sam m antar was not very happy about this so he said hmm let's find a way to ruin him financially so his I, dad yeah these people are crazy they're not good people so i can ruin it so when new year's eve rolled around and Debbie One was upset that Eddie said he couldn't spend it with her after promising her that he would. Sam told her that Eddie was actually going to meet his mistress. Um, so Debbie One and a few sisters-in-law traveled with her to find Eddie waiting for his mistress in a limousine. Their screaming match became so intense that the police were called, but not before Eddie took off in the limo. Oh yeah, no one's going to know who he, who's in the limo. Yeah, right? Uh, many of the Antars were on Debbie's, Debbie One's side in this, though, uh, driving a rift between them, and between them and Eddie so wide that they straight up refer to that evening as the New Year's Eve massacre. Okay, that's funny. Because of how violent the outburst was between them and how much it ruined the family. Eddie's father had hoped that the ensuing divorce would be the thing that would drive Eddie into financial ruin. 
uh, when he would have to give up half of his stake in the company to Debbie One. Yeah. Right? Uh, but the divorce did happen. But when it came time to sign the papers, Eddie used the same aggressive sales tactics that he had become known for to get Debbie One to sign the papers without consulting a lawyer or reading it thoroughly while promising her that it was a 50% split. But after she put pen to paper, she agreed to leave with absolutely nothing from the marriage. He strong-armed her into signing something without reading it that uh, that she agreed to not taking any of his money. What a dick. Yeah. This, this caused the cracks in the foundations. Um, but as I mentioned, the real downfall of Crazy Eddie was that they had committed their fraud a little too well. They had made themselves falsely seem like they were a great company with huge profits. But Sam... Sam E couldn't inflate the profits because the family members that used to be complicit in the fraud were now backing out due to the uh, massacre. Mm. Because of this, their stock fell as they were about to report their first decrease in sales ever since they IPO'd. And it fell down to less than $10 a share. Seeing this dip in the price, a Houston-based businessman named Elias Sin launched a hostile takeover bid, buying up as many shares as he could to oust the Antar's controlling stake. Seeing this, Eddie Antar and Sammy put in a bid to buy back the stock from all shareholders at $7 a share in an effort to take Crazy Eddie private again, still owned by them. But Zinn counter-offered at $8 a share, which was too rich for their blood, and swayed investors enough that they finally successfully completed the takeover. And after they owned the majority stake in Crazy Eddie, they cleared house and booted all of the Antars out of leadership positions in November of 1987. So they no longer owned their own company. Eddie Antar showed his belief in the future of Crazy Eddie by immediately unloading $74 million worth of stock that he owned, knowing what the new owners were going to find when they yeah. finally got in there. Now that, that they had unfettered access to the books and inventory, they quickly discovered that the entire business had been a con from the start. They spent millions of dollars buying a company that was essentially worthless. And in less than a year, the company filed for bankruptcy. And by the end of 1989, all Crazy Eddie stores had been closed. Damn, end it of went, an era. It went under fast. Crazy Eddie was no more. A few months after Crazy Eddie shuttered, the SEC brought charges against Eddie for securities fraud and insider trading for his share offloading that he did after being let go. As a part of this, they also requested that all of his money held in foreign bank accounts be brought back to the U.S., known as repatriation. Eddie failed to comply with this order, however, and when he also failed to show up for a court appearance, his assets were frozen and a warrant was put out for his arrest. By that time, though, he was long gone. He fled the country to Israel with Debbie too in tow. Was he Israeli? Yeah, well, so his his grandparents were Syrian Jews. Oh, okay. So, he's got ties. Okay. Um, with Debbie, too, able to travel with the help of five fake passports that he had, all burying different aliases. This man was, like, ready to go. Wow. <laughs> I, I, If you're cheat, like cheating this much, he must have just known at some point. He's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I gotta get a go bag. <laughs> yeah. I gotta get five aliases and fake passports and just be ready to dip. Um, but in his flight, he did what he had become really familiar with, leaving family behind. And the accounting mastermind behind the fraud, Sammy Antar, was still stateside. And he immediately flipped, pleading guilty to avoid jail time. He didn't do any jail time. He was like, he got like six months house arrest or something. And he became extremely cooperative with investigators. So cooperative that he would actually go on to have a decently long career working with the FBI's white collar crime division. Injures, that's that's funny. He switched sides, dude. He sure did. And that's what he was talking about in that interview too, where he was also like kind of misogynistic. Um, he he was like, 
He was like, yeah, you know, I, he said, I'm a retired white collar criminal. And they were like, you're reformed? He's like, no, no, I'm retired. <laughs> He's like, I'm not changed. I just don't do it anymore. Oh, my God. That's pretty funny. Uh, honestly, it, it was a very captivating interview. I don't think I like the guy, but, you know. It's a good interview. He's got the gift of gab. You know, he's, right. he's definitely a good con man. Um, so with Sammy's help, the government was able to put together a RICO indictment against Eddie and successfully got him extradited back to the United States in 1993, where he pled not guilty. Of course he did. The trial went swiftly, and in June of 1993, Eddie Antar was found guilty on three counts of racketeering conspiracy and sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison. Which sounds like the end. But it isn't, because he filed an appeal, and an appellate court ruled in favor that Eddie Antar or ruled in favor of any answer that his trial had not been fair because the judge had made remarks seeming to indicate he had always believed that Eddie was guilty during sentencing. And here is verbatim what the judge said that they made this ruling on, and I'll let you decide for yourself. <clears throat> Let's see, judge voice, judge voice. <clears throat> My object in this case from day one has always been to get back to the public that which was taken from it as a result of the fraudulent activities of this defendant and others. I mean, I wouldn't overturn it. Yeah, I think he's just saying that he's like, for the crime that was committed. Yeah, I don't like, think he was saying you did this. Like, obviously something happened, but I think they were arguing that, like, well, and maybe Eddie didn't know. I don't think anyone was arguing that it wasn't falsely inflated, because that would yeah. kind of be hard. But... They sided with him. They overturned it. They gave him another trial, another shot. But this time, Eddie decided to plead guilty to just a single count and was sentenced to eight years in prison and ordered to pay $150 million in fines, as well as money judgments exceeding $1 billion. $1 billion. Oh, my God. Um, so he was at least ordered to pay back a lot of money. Good. Um, Eddie was released from prison in 1999. They served about six years. Well, but he was in for a little bit, too. So maybe with time served, he served close to the whole sentence. Um, and believe it or not, immediately tried to revive Crazy Eddie. What? Right out of prison. He was like, I'm going back. This time as an online-only store, okay? Uh, but CrazyEddie.com, which is what it was, never took off. Largely because no investors would go near it because he just got out of prison for Stealing a bunch of money. I think that's fair. And the website was taken down in 2004. There were a few more attempts to revive the physical stores. Some of them even opened a few Crazy Eddie locations to try and bring them back under different ownership. Uh, but the dead must stay that way. So none of them ever caught steam. In 2016, due to some sort of liver ailment... Um, Maybe cancer, I think, is what is the official thing. But but some people said the years of alcohol finally caught up with him. Um, Eddie Antar left this world in a coffin price so low they're practically giving him away. So crazy Eddie was an incredible example of how sometimes businesses are started with all the wrong intentions. <laughs> From day one, the store was nothing but a front for Eddie Antar and his family to bleed money away from it and steal from the government. Oh, and stealing from the government is one thing. Definitely more forgivable than stealing from the public. So when they IPO'd as a way to continue the charade that Crazy Eddie was anything close to legitimate, they did just that. Steal from the public. They got millions of people to invest in a company that was an illusion. And without a hostile takeover, it might have been crazy Eddie stores going out of business instead of Circuit City's. But at least Circuit City CEO never got stabbed outside of a nightclub. I think. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> necessarily uh, say that they never have. Yeah, you know, you can't look at any CEO and be like, "You didn't get stabbed outside yeah. of a nightclub," because maybe they did. They might have. We don't know. We have no idea. We don't know. But we do know that crazy Eddie is dead. Yep. And so is the brand. Rip. It's getting kind of late for them to ever try to bring it back again. Well, he's dead. Well, they, no one cared about that before. They cared that people knew the name. Oh. But yeah, no one fucking cares about Crazy Eddie anymore. So that was the story. The private to public to fucking nothing. In the ground. To nothing. Crazy Eddie. So thank you so much for listening. That's our episode today. That's all we got for you. There's no more. 
Okay? So stop trying to get more. There's no more. There's no more facts. There's no more crazy Eddie stuff. It's done. That was the end. There's no Marvel after credit scene. This is it. So if you liked it and you want more, well, then you got to support us, bud. Okay? I need positive reinforcement. Yes. Okay? And how are you going to give me positive reinforcement? Okay? You're going to go to Apple Podcasts and you're going to write a review. Or you're going to leave a five-star rating. Or you're going to do that on Spotify because I look at that and it makes me happy and it makes me feel like my mom was wrong and I have something to give the world, okay? She's actually nice. She watches these. She's nice. She supports me, believe it or not. I was going to say, I was like, I don't think your mom. She supports me, believe it or not. I know you're listening to this, mom. I'm sorry. Um, but but I need your support too. I, I could use it from everybody. We're performers, okay? We need, uh, we, we'll take as much attention as we can get. I need it. So you can also follow us on any of your other podcasting services. You can do that too. Money, love money. That's good recognition. If you want to give us that, you can go to our merch, tpublic.com, uh, search for our store. You can find the link to that in our show description, or you can go to our website, whitecollarsredhands.com, and uh, you can click the check out our merch tab on there, and that'll take you there. And you can buy something, and that some of that goes straight to us, so we can keep providing you with great content. Yeah. Um, you can also support us by following our socials. That's Facebook.com slash White Collars Red Hands. Instagram at White Collars underscore Red Hands. You can follow us at Twitter at White Collars Pod. You can find us on TikTok, White Collars Red Hands, on there as well. Yeah, I feel like I'm, am I forgetting a social media? You can, no, but you know what we did forget to say at the beginning that we're going to have to record later and do it, right now? Is it the live show? But this is coming out. Okay, here, here I'll play the same. So last time. Oh, wait. Yeah, it's coming. Never mind. It's coming out the same day. I will probably still put it out because it's going to come out at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. So if someone is really like going home about listening it, you know, you can check that out. So if you're listening to this right now, that'll be at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Go check out our live show. At uh, YouTube, that's that's the one we're forgetting. I've I've, I've done a plug our YouTube where you can uh, see the video uh, podcast. We do record video every week, and you can check out our live show on the twenty seventh at seven p.m. Central Standard Time. It's YouTube.com slash White Collars Red Hands. I pre-recorded something, so I'll just stick that at the beginning of this time. Um, and you know what really supports us? Telling a friend, huh? Telling a friend, uh, you can you can. Oh, you know what would be fun? It's October, right? Right, so so get a coffin and, and bury it, but scratch on the inside uh, white collars, red hands, like someone was trying to claw out, but but they just like did so in a way that says white collars, red hands, and then have your friends dig it up with you, saying saying that you buried treasure there, and then open it up and just says white collars, red hands. That's a great way to plug the podcast. So do that. Yeah, do that. That's a good one, please. Um, and you know what? I think that's it. Yep, that's it. So thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week on another episode of White Collars, Red, Red Hands. Hands.